nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Boradab Halb Krusoy Abatawi. Hello everyone and welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show on Wednesday with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight we're going to be talking to Eddie Roulette and Laura Woods about what we can do to early careers teachers to help with their work-life balance and their well-being. So welcome, tune in, talk it out, let's go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Borodar Pal, Krisoyabatawi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Swansea. And we have for me a topical show tonight because we are talking about work-life balance we're going to be talking a little bit about burnout and we are joined by two fantastic guests we're joined by Eddie Rollett and we're joined by Laura Woods um, Eddie's a research and pedagogy lead and Laura's a geography lead practitioner but both involved in uh, some of the support that is going into early career teachers um, that they work with and uh, PGCs as well to look at that work-life balance. Now, I'm just going to see if they can hear me. Can you hear me? Um, yes, we can. Oh, you're coming through loud and clear. So welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank Hi, you Anne. very much. Hi. Um, and um, well, I guess it starts off for us, as always, to kind of introduce ourselves a little bit, um, get to know each other. We, uh, you know, real teachers and there are real teachers listening. So it is good for us to be, you know, I will be that host and I will kind of do our, you know, you know, myself here. Uh, I am Nathan and I'm sat in Swansea in South Wales um, teaching secondary alternative provision. Um, and I guess, and, and I throw it over to you two ladies to kind of do a little introduction for yourselves as well. Uh, thank you very much. So Laura and myself um, are colleagues at a secondary school um, in the New Forest um, called Nosewood. We're currently um, sat together in my husband's office. Um, my five-year-old son has been um, just gone out on a drive just in case we, so we don't get any um, interruptions. Um, and I've been uh, teaching at Nosewood School. Um, this is my 15th year. I'm a history teacher, so I can see that we've got Rogers History who's joined us. So that's really exciting for me. Um, and uh, this year um, I've taken over a responsibility um, for looking after our PGCs, our supers and our ECTs um, but previously I've done lots of work um, as a history mentor as well and it's something I'm really passionate about so I'm very excited to be here tonight. Fantastic can I just check you said your five-year-old has gone out driving I'm assuming not no, by himself. I just want to clarify uh, he is not <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one there's no no child protection issues here guys um we, he's gone out um on a drive with his um, with his dad okay fantastic and, <laughs> um, and we've got laura there as well right yeah hi yeah so i've been teaching 15 years five years at nodeswood and my background's a little bit different so although i'm a lead practitioner now i've got some pastoral background um i was ahead of year and i've also um got a curriculum background where i've been head of department um, but both Eddie and I are really passionate about 
trying to support early careers teachers and PGCs and making sure they get that help and that support in terms of like looking at well-being, looking at that work-life balance. And we both believe, um, hopefully we'll share some ideas today, that we know that one of the main reasons people get a bit stressed with teaching is that balance. And we think that there are lots of tips and help out there but we just need to share it. Yeah, we've seen lots of really fantastic colleagues actually who have sadly left the profession because yeah. of because of workload. Yeah, you know, I have fairly strong views on this. I'm I'm probably a terrible um, example though. I think I don't I don't model it myself particularly well. But certainly, I think there is something in teaching, some kind of expectation, particularly with younger teachers, where. I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable the way we talk about it sometimes or in some places that, you know, that there is an expectation of the, you know, the amount of work that they do. So I, I think we'll, you know, definitely have a kind of deeper meaningful tonight about that. I, you know, I've got some passion about this. Um, as you say, we've got uh, Tom Rogers listening in as well in the studio. Um, it's nice you spotted that. So you will see people are able to text in any questions you have. Also, if you're listening live in the studio, you'll be able to call in if you have any questions or want to join the discussion. It is Teachers Talk Radio. So we want to talk to teachers. Um, so I, you said Nodeswood, that, that's that's where you're both based at the moment. T tell us a little bit about that. So it's south of England, south coast. Yeah, so it's New Forest Fringe. Um, it's a really supportive community. It's a fab place to work. Um, and the, I suppose probably um, there isn't a tremendous amount of staff turnover actually because of the area that we live in. A lot of people come and live in the area um, and then tend to stay there um, for a yeah, longer period of time. Um, and um, it's about a thousand students, just over a thousand, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think like any school at the moment as well, you know, we have our challenges, but we have, you know, strategies in place. And I think a lot of our training teachers and early careers teachers, one of the things that they comment on a lot is that how supportive as a school we are. And I think we were talking about it today that if you find the right school and the right support within it, actually, there's a lot of expertise out there. And we just want to say, although we're not, you know, fully, ex you know, we haven't written research papers or anything on wellbeing or um, workload and life balance we know because we've done it for 15 years each from our own mistakes and yeah. I think it's important to share that we've not got it right we're still you know working on that but it's just making other teachers hopefully that are listening realize that actually you're not alone if you're finding things a little bit tough so is everyone else but if we work together and support each other and share those ideas hopefully we'll get into a better place rather than just feeling like we're struggling on our own. Yeah, I think it's that transparency as well, isn't it, about people being more open and honest about the struggles within teaching, about finding, you know, you know discussing that your that, you know, day has been difficult or, you know, something is that, you know, reaching out and receiving help. And COVID has really compounded that. It's definitely probably been the hardest two years of teaching, actually, that I've, I've known. Yeah, definitely. Um, so on that note, that kind of transparency kind of note, um, why don't we talk a little bit about our sort of our early careers selves, if we can, uh, just to get to know. Um, so myself personally, you know, and this will be maybe different to your backgrounds, but I trained as a primary school teacher. I trained, must be 12 years ago now, around that sort of time. I trained in South Wales. Um, and but when I started as a what would now be called an early careers teacher, I was like you know one of those too dedicated. I would say you know I was one of those I was taking laminating home at the weekend. You know I was one of those working till all hours kind of people. And I can look at it now and say it's it was unhealthy, 
and it probably didn't do me any favors, but I certainly felt the, the pressure to do it. And I thought I was doing the right thing. What about yourselves? How did you feel sort of in the early career stages? What were you like? Um, for me, I, when I was doing my PGC and then becoming an NQT, I thought that every waking hour really should be devoted to doing the job. And I, we were talking about it today. I was honestly scared to admit that I was struggling. I needed a bit of help. Um, things that perhaps if I'd asked for a bit of help might have taken me half an hour. Instead, I'd sit there trying to work out the best way to do it on my own for like three, four hours, working till 11 o'clock, thinking that was normal, getting a little bit of sleep, getting up early, getting into work. And actually, because I didn't have children, um, which now I do, I reflect a, little, a lot differently. I just thought everybody was doing that because I didn't know how else to get all my lessons done because I didn't realise actually if you tap into all the expertise you don't need to work every day and I had this massive teacher guilt especially in the early days of ever doing anything outside of school hours but on a school night going to the cinema dinner drink anything like that I was like you can't do that it's a school night you've got other things to do and so I stopped prioritizing me and my social life and just kept working and it was burning me out if I'm being honest mm. Yeah, I'd say um, when I first started um, my um, NQT year, um, I was incredibly lucky, actually, that I had um, an incredible mentor, actually. And I think if I hadn't have had my mentor, Emily, I wonder if I'd have found the year uh, more challenging. She was incredibly um, proactive. Um, but I was sort of straight out of, um, you know, went from college to university to teaching, uh, didn't have a tremendous amount of life experience. And I think going in at 22, when I wasn't really that much older than some of the classes um, that I was teaching um, I found that really demanding um, and I remember just being exhausted the whole time and like Laura said working some quite long hours I didn't drive so I had to get the bus into school I had to get the bus home <laughs> from school um, and so um, I learned to drive very quickly but that that was quite difficult and marking and, and I probably wasn't very efficient I felt like I had to do everything I wasn't very good at prioritizing what I had to do and when so often just felt quite overwhelmed and tired and my weekends even on my downtime I remember not being very good company falling asleep a lot because I was just exhausted yeah you know that sounds very familiar to me I'm sure very familiar to, to our listeners as well um around time frames as well because pedagogy uh, educational kind of expectations have changed slightly mm -hmm. but I know certainly when I was training things like triple marking were an expectation yeah. um, you know where you were marking and then remarking and then the children were replying and then you were marking again so triple marking mm -hmm. I also know and I hope this doesn't happen anymore but I know that when I started there was an expectation or at least I was told this in my NQT year that I wasn't allowed to use any existing schemes of work or planning because I had to prove that I could do it myself to pass yeah. my NQT year. That is so what happened to me as well. Um, but I remember being in my NQT year and being told, here are the topics and off you go. And I was thinking, well, what do we use? And everything, it was like start from scratch, resources, worksheets. And obviously when you're learning the trade, you're not quite sure how long an activity might take or whether it will work, or whether it's successful. Now it's very different. And that's why I think we're so passionate about the fact that actually you're, you're a teacher. You're not supposed to try and reinvent the wheel. That's one of the reasons why workload is you know, difficult when people aren't sharing resources, helping one another. 
And hopefully, I mean, I know for in our school and the PGCs that come through to us, we have to share all of our resources with them. There is an expectation you have to. Of course, they can tweak and amend them, um, but you're not supposed to ask them to do everything from scratch. And we were talking about the power of actually tapping into all of the social media networks and the fact that there's so many fantastic things out there and people are willing to share if you just know where to look and to get that help. Yeah, I think, you know, on top of that, though, with the expectations around curriculum, some of the things that are really helpful around booklets, although we have had some good discussions on Teachers Talk Radio about booklets, mm-hmm. but there is there there seems to be now more things in place to support early careers teachers before they have to take that step, um, which I certainly didn't feel when I started. That not only was it not there, but also there was an expectation, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, of experienced members of staff and a sort of um, I had to do it, so you have to do it attitude, kind of a, uh, I, you know, my everyone's burnt out on their NQT year. That's how it is. So you should have to feel that too. Have you guys ever come across that kind of sentiment? Yes. So certainly um, not so much in my NQT year, but definitely in my PGT year. And Laura and I were um, talking about how um, there was definitely, I remember um, in my training, um, one of my training schools, someone saying to me, well, you know, we do watch the car park and we do notice the people who leave and the people who, you know, must, you know, you've got to stay beyond a certain time. Otherwise, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not getting the best and you're not doing this. And certainly there was a lot of like, oh, it's really hard to kind of just, you know, sup it up, get on with it kind of thing. But actually um, it doesn't have to be like that. I think there's a lot more, um, a lot of it's more research driven as well. We were doing things often that um, because we felt we had to, there wasn't a tremendous amount of research. It was more because we've always done it like that. That's why we're going to do it. Um, Whereas now actually it's looking at, you know, placing your best bets, looking at actually what's really going to make the difference and trying to focus on cutting workload really. And I think it's really important to share the story because exactly, you know, whenever you get told, well, this is how we've done it, or when I was trained, this is what I did. That's not helpful to the person that sat there now in today's, you know, the trainees, the early careers teachers. They don't need to know how bad you had it. They just need to know that what they've got now, they're being supported and they're being guided. And and the reason we wanted to do this and talk to you today is because we're talking from experience. We've made those mistakes. We want to be open and honest and say, you know, still now, 15 years later, we make some mistakes or we don't quite get the balance right. But this is what we can share. This is where you can get help. There's nothing worse than people sat there thinking, I don't know how to do this or I just wish somebody could help me do that and I'm sure I could do it quicker. And actually, if we just talk, have those open and honest conversations and say, I need a bit of help, whether it's from your mentor, whether it's from someone else in the department or just someone else in the school, all of a sudden you realise you're surrounded by hundreds of years of experience where people can share the positives and not always the negatives. Although it's good to hear you might have struggled so they don't feel alone. You don't want them to feel just because you had it bad, they also have to have it bad or you had a poor experience so they must have a poor experience. It's about trying to grow and make sure that our teaching staff is secure for the future because we know it's a struggling profession. We know there are many people leaving and we need to retain the best so that we can give the best. Yeah, and I think that there is, um, you know, and this is possibly another question around those issues. And I know that Tom Rogers has got a morning break show tomorrow talking about accountability measures but certainly, uh, and I hope the new ECT program, and perhaps you, you know, you can shed some light on how that kind of you guys feel that's going. But you know, the NQT as it was delivered to the to me 
or at least how I felt it was delivered to me, was a measuring process. It was another test, another accountability measure that I had to prove myself. And so there was a fear of me showing anything but my, my best light, for want of a better word. It was almost, and I know certainly there are NQTs out there who get a one-year temporary contract where they might be feeling that actually this is a year-long job interview, or this is my you know year-long test to see if I become a teacher. And so that accountability thing to show that I'm doing the best, you know, I'm doing a really good job. Um, I certainly felt that there was a pressure put on me to not show or not discuss weakness. Yeah, and I think as well, there's also that fear as well. There'll be people listening and people in many schools thinking, well, if I keep asking for help, people are going to think I can't do my job or I'm not very good at my job or I'm the, the pain that nobody wants to hear from. And what we hope you know, to inspire, especially in our school and wider if we can, is that it shouldn't be like that. And that it comes from senior leaders, really, ultimately. You want to change the culture in a school to make sure people feel supported, to make, you know, that open door policy. It has to come from the top. But you also need all the staff to work together and be open and honest and feel like if they've got something that's niggling inside them, that they don't just hold on to it because that small thing snowballs and it gets bigger and bigger until you know they either feel so overwhelmed they don't know what to do or worse they go off because they're really stressed and they can't cope or that you know they leave the profession and nobody wants that when there is help out there it's just finding those right avenues and it is hard don't get me wrong I've worked in various schools and not all of them are as supportive as the school I'm in now um not saying that every school is the same either because you know you'll be different priorities but if you get the right mentors you get the right staff you get the right support from above then you know teaching can be something that isn't 24 7 all day all night you know you it, it can be enjoyable and that's what we want someone you know to go to work and feel like they're enjoying what they're doing because that can get lost I think at times yeah, certainly um so th the way that I I guess I stumbled across you bumped into you was on Twitter in one of these type situations as you described was you were reaching out asking for you know, not asking for advice as such, but asking for other opinions on what we should be saying to PGCE students in particular, but early career teachers as well, um, about um, workload workload tips. Uh, and you put out a tweet and, and kind of saw what was coming back. Um, so I obviously jumped on this opportunity to have some people talk about what they were doing. Um, and, and you agreed. Now, um, you've hopefully got, we're going to move on to some, I guess, some more prompt, concrete kind of examples of things that people can be doing is that okay yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah um fantastic now what we're going to do is we're going to pop to the ad break uh, and when we come back as i say if you're listening in we'll be talking about maybe some concrete examples or you know discussing the different things that get said about how we can address workload particularly what we should be saying to these early career teachers to prevent burnout and that kind of number that gets thrown around so much at the moment of the five-year cutoff where we are losing so many teachers so we will see you on the other side of these ads need support with your phonics teaching did you know oxford university press now has three dfe validated programs to help you Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. 
whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses. All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, the Wednesday Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, and we are talking to two teachers, as a tongue twister there, we're talking to Eddie Roulette and we're talking to uh, Laura Woods and we are talking about the work-life balance, particularly what experienced teachers and mentors should be saying to early career teachers, to PGCE uh, tutors and, and the th- practical advice we can give them to not make the same mistakes we'd made, I guess. Um, welcome back, Eddie, Laura. Hiya. Hi. So um, we were um, looking, actually, um, at trying to kind of put these into themes, actually, um, because one of the things that um, Tom Sherrington um, was blogging about, he actually, re- I think, just actually just the other day, um, released a blog about this, and he talked about well-being actually being actions, not words, because um, you can see um, lots of kind of nice posters around, but actually it's the, um, the deliberate actions that you take each day and those around you um, that actually make the biggest difference, we think, to kind of your workload um, and your well-being. Um, And so the first thing that we were um, wanting to really talk about was organisation. And that was something that I wasn't very um, good at at all, whereas Laura um, has been exceptional at organisation, I imagine, probably since the beginning of her teaching career. And um, the thing we um, sort of talked about really um, was the um, power of actually having, it sounds really silly actually, but just having like a notebook that you have permanently. And the reason why I think it sounds silly is um, lots of you probably might have that, like a diary that you use. Whereas I was someone who had pieces of paper kind of scattered and I'd write everything down and I'd leave one piece of paper somewhere, leave something somewhere else. And and sometimes I'd fall behind on deadlines actually, because it just felt, you know, in meetings, a million you know pieces of paper and notices and deadlines and dates were kind of um, handed out. Um, and so actually having that notebook with you to kind of record everything um, is really key. And we're a big fan of um, creating our to-do lists um, and being able to prioritise that work, um, 
you know, with the essential work, like absolutely non-negotiable, has to be completed, it's a hard deadline, um, to looking at the, um, you know, um, I'd I need to at some point this week, and then the um, I'd like to. Um, and we found actually that even now, when we're looking through um, kind of lead practitioner teaching and learning work, that really um, helps us. Now, obviously, sometimes something's been on the uh, I'd like to for so long, it suddenly moves <laughs> into your urgent list. Um, but actually, we found actually um, looking at all of the work that we've done, writing it down and then being able to prioritise it and tick it off as we were going along, actually, um, psychologically, um, was really helpful wasn't it yeah and I think sometimes when you look at some of these suggestions people go oh that's really obvious or why didn't I think of that so for me I've taken the notebook a little bit further and I have tabs so rather than flicking through my entire notebook and I know some people have um you know different notebooks for different things but for me I'm like if I carry five or six things I'm going to forget it if I have one and my teacher planner I know a lot of people go digital and I love digital things but my teacher planner as a book is the best thing because we were talking about when you have five hours and you might be teaching four what do you actually do in that hour and we we did an activity with our um, training teachers and we asked them to think about a typical day how do you spend that time and then we asked them to think about well, are you happy with what you've done with that time obviously there are your non-negotiables your teaching meetings etc but actually we find out that you might waste time doing things that don't need to be done or actually could be done at another time and then it, the big one for me um, is looking at your planner or your calendar, not just your work calendar, your professional calendar, but also your social calendar, because everyone has those pinch points when it might be a birthday, an anniversary, a weekend away, or, you know, you've got parents evening, open evening, and it's working out when those pinch points are and trying to balance that workload around it. So if you know you've got mock exams coming up, for example, don't schedule a whole load of other things in that week or two because you're going to find that you're going to burn out if you're trying to mark because you've got your year 11s doing mocks and then you've decided to give every class an assessment at the same time. Space it out. But if you aren't aware of what's coming ahead by looking at your calendar and being organised, you find that actually you fall behind because one of the biggest things that most of our trainees and early careers teachers tell us is it's just trying to manage their workload and when we say, well, have you looked at what's coming up this half term and have you scheduled out what, what you need to do, what are your non uh, sorry, your essentials and non-negotiables, and then what are you weaving in and around that? And it's quite interesting because people are like, oh, I, I didn't really think. I've given three classes an assessment, but I know next week four classes are doing an assessment. Okay, now you've got a lot of marking that you've just created for yourself. Can you space that out? So rather than waiting week by week, is looking maybe monthly, half-termly and termly and just being aware of where your pinch points might be. Yeah, I'm going to make a suggestion here that to add to your already, uh, you know, a, a really solid advice there, I think. But I have moved from, I was, a, I was a techno person, right? In my last job, I was a techno person. I had, you know, iPad phone, all synced, a notepad that you could scan and it uploaded to it all and everything. But it could never get me away from my work you know I have emails on my phone and I still do have emails on my phone mm -hmm. and my personal phone but I have moved this year to a um you know a paper-based a, a, a teacher's a teacher's diary for one yeah, of a better word you know planner, yeah yeah planner um and I'd made fun of that earlier in my career you know who's still writing stuff on paper come and get with the times <laughs> but the difference is and this really is something I have left that planner at school tonight 
Yep. I left it in school uh, and I will not look at it. Whereas I know certainly earlier in my career, I would get a spare five minutes. I'd be laying down in bed and I was flicking through my emails or flicking through my planner, looking what's happening next week, the week after. And I would never be breaking away from my, my planner because it was digitally in my hand. And so mm -hmm. I, I really think a, a paper-based system or yeah. at least a system that allows you to move away from it is really important for your well-being. And I also think as well, because we live in such a digital age, like you were saying with the emails, we're so used to having access to people 24-7 that sometimes parents may email you at the weekend. And if you have your emails connected to your phone and you see that, like Eddie was saying earlier to one of our teachers, it can make you, you know, depending on the tone of it, it might bring you down that weekend or it might ruin what you were doing. Um, or you can feel like, oh, my goodness, I've had five or six emails. And I think our school's getting better at it where – you know, I have worked in schools in the past where they are emailing all the time, you know, at the weekends. And our school actually were pretty good. We, if, if you receive, it's quite rare you receive. But with COVID, it's been different because obviously with isolations and so on and information that we've needed to have, that's come out. But there's always an expectation that comes from our senior leaders in particular that it, even though we might have sent this, don't, don't worry about replying to it. Reply when it's convenient or uh, we've sent this on a Sunday night just because you need this information on a Monday morning. Do not feel the need to look at it. And I don't feel guilty because exactly what you were saying. I don't check it until I'm at work. Um, because I think if you have it on your phone or you have it on your iPad, you are likely just to click on it and have a quick look. And all of a sudden you're doing work and yeah. it, it can add to, if you're feeling overwhelmed anyway, it can feel... And I've got a, um, a like a, a what a smartwatch. So what I found is I had some of our in-school communication apps, and I thought, oh, I'll download those onto my iPad, and it automatically gave me notifications. Or um, I had Outlook on there, and then what would happen is I'd be enjoying um, some time away from school, and then the notification would come up on my watch. And I think once you've seen that, it's quite difficult to switch off. And so I actually removed the in-school apps from my. Um, from my kind of my phone and from everything so actually I could have some proper downtime and also sometimes I'll put a do not disturb um, so that I can't be kind of if you know even if it's a work WhatsApp group whatever it is so that actually I'm kind of properly in the moment when I'm not at work I'm actually having a proper time away otherwise um, I was finding like you said it can be quite um, all-encompassing and that that to-do list is never done whether it's paper-based or electronic I think um, I drove myself a bit uh, bonkers sometimes trying to just tick everything off and I think there has to be an acceptance um, that actually like you said you'll leave that planner at home you'll leave that planner at school and your list won't be done and that's okay yep I know you know I am gonna I, I'm very middle of the road and anyone who listens regularly will know that I sit very firmly in the middle of a lot of debates but this is one thing that I am gonna you know come down hard on I really dislike you know I Oh, this is one thing. Um, you don't have to read your work emails said as a phrase with regards to staff well-being. You don't have to look at it because that is not true. Anyone who anyone who has had email on their phone, anyone who has ever you know received an email, particularly as an early careers teacher, if if it goes ping and there's a message from your line manager on there, you are going to read it. Yeah. There, I, I can't believe there is anyone who has the willpower at that stage in their career to not read it. Yeah. I think you're going to read it. And that's one of the reasons why I sort of took that off, actually, my um, phone. Because I do recognise that people work at, you know, um, you know, different hours. And it might be that, you know, particularly when people have got children, they might, you know, 
leave school or other, you know at different times um but I just took that off because actually it's really important I think that I'm not looking at and you're right I would have I was looking at my phone quite a lot so I thought I'm going to remove those so I don't need to look at it and I'm also trying to be really mindful of not sending emails actually um outside of working hours because you're right um whether you say to people don't look at it or not um sometimes if you're communicating that expectation in it, it you know you're, you're communicating that way it can become an expectation or just you know the way in which people um you know care about their business and I think yeah. as well, when you look at, um, you know, when I was talking earlier, it, it comes from the top. You need middle leaders and you need your senior leaders to lead on that and to share those expectations. Because I think we live in a, a society, particularly more so now, parents, this is a big one, parents can reply, send a message, say late on a Friday, and then we've had it in the past where they complain on a Monday morning, they haven't had a response. And the school has to be strong enough to say, actually, they don't work at the weekend and teachers will respond when they have time to respond and they will respond, but just not in their maybe the parental expectations. And I think it is tough because, like you say, when you're in your early careers and you're starting out, you don't want to make mistakes. You don't want to be the one that gets called because you, you still have that even 15 years later if, if someone says you need to go see the head I always think oh, have I done something wrong even though I know it's not like that at all you do sometimes have that fear and I can imagine if I look back when you're asking us to think about our careers when I look back at mine it's only now that I've got a bit more confidence to say something if I feel that perhaps it's not right um when we were talking about the power of saying no um, because often you want to please you want to do the best you want to be you know, helpful, you want to do everything. And so, you know, you, and this is part of the workload and well-being is if you keep saying yes to everything, that also can lead to a problem. So you respond to that email once, is the expectation you'll do it every time? Or if, you know, you're in a meeting and someone asks you to do something, can you say yes, but you know that you don't really have that capacity? It, it can add to people's workload, especially for early careers, because they, I think they want to, like you're saying, if they're on that one-year contract, they want to please, they want to make sure you know they're they're seen in a good light and it's hard it is finding that balance and it isn't easy hence why I think so many people leave the profession sadly yeah I will say my previous head teacher who and I really admire this about a stance that he took and he would refer to any time that you weren't working at school as being on annual leave and it, it changed your mindset so you know whenever something would come in and a parent would say oh you know i'm you know I, I've, I've sent this and he would just say i'm sorry they're on annual leave they'll be back in on monday morning and yeah. it did completely change the mindset from people you know saying oh well you know teachers holidays are soft holidays you know this mm -hmm. expectation that there's work being done when you say annual leave to someone that really does give a firmer indication that they are not being contacted and something I don't think Eddie or I said um, at the start is we both work four days a week. So there is one day a week where we're not in school, different days. But sometimes colleagues, parents, they forget that. They don't realise that. And sometimes we found ourselves, well, actually on many occasions, picking up work on our day off. And actually, we're not being paid for that day. And you said something, Eddie, about Sunday, didn't you? So yeah, I think um, sometimes because um, we're talking about the power of um, no, um, and that's something um, that I've um, had to learn because I am quite a people pleaser. Um, and so I do, um, you know, if I can help or I can do something, regardless of when that request comes in, I'll always try my best to go and do that. 
Uh, and I thought that was a really positive thing. But what I've learned um, as I've gone through my career is that if I'm saying yes to this thing, I have to say no to something else. Uh, and sometimes that no can be um, the time with my family. Um, it can mean that, you know, I, I'm not able to meet another deadline. It might mean that I'm not able, you know, I'm not lethargic or I'm tired. Um, and I think um, sometimes, particularly if you're part time and, you know, um, some colleagues will be who will be listening, um, I would think oh, it was a working day. And colleagues, I don't think they ever, they just forgot it was my day off um, and I think my husband said to me he said but you wouldn't email someone on a Sunday and expect them to go and do that piece of work and actually contacting someone on their day off is as unreasonable <laughs> you know whether they mean to or not if they're requesting yeah. things to be done is as unreasonable as asking something someone to do something on a Sunday and I think actually when it was reframed for me like that and like you say with the annual leave it, you know is your entitlement is your you know your holiday actually that reframing is really important. Um, I'm just going to read out one of the tweets that kind of started this off for me this week. And it was a, a, a tweet by a guy called James P. Um, and uh, he goes by the username uh, Jampar21 on um, Twitter. Um, and I'm just going to read through this. It's a, he said, um, it was a thread that said, I'm convinced that at one point or other, every teacher's private life has been negative affected by the job. Um, in inverted commas, when I look back at the beginning of my career and consider the time and energy I put into profession to the detriment of personal happiness, it's insane. Mm -hmm. So many nights out missed due to tiredness, so many arguments stemming from being irritable or stressed, mental health plummeted, uh, no one ever said anything. I blame these people who tell you teaching is a vocation and that you aren't good enough unless you buy into that way of thinking. And those suffering from competitive martyr syndrome, well, I stayed up till 3 a.m. marking, or well, I created 57 PowerPoint yeah. on, you know, on the Sunday, um, they should get stuffed. It took me three years to change, 10 years in. If I see anyone going down that road, I tell them, you don't have to laminate. A personal laminator really is a sign that you're in crisis, by the way. Um, card for displays at home. You don't need card at home uh, to be a good teacher. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Does that hit home at all? With you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Definitely. We were talking actually um, about um, when we first started, there were, was a lot of like toxic positivity uh, where um, people were like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And like glossing over things. And actually people were very open and honest. But yes, um, we've said uh, one of the things we were talking to our ECTs about was actually looking for those red flags. Um, don't brush it off as normal. If you um, are working all of those hours, if you're working until 10 o'clock at night, if you're working every weekend, if you're spending lots of money um, on resources, if you're exhausted, if you're tired, if you feel like your mental health is kind of depleting, those things aren't normal. Um, and also, um, I think Mary Myatt talks about this a lot, um, but remember, you know, we're humans first, teachers second, and that the time with your family um, and you are entitled to that time um, is incredibly um, and important and um, you know with schools it's important to find that open have that open and honest dialogue to have that outlet that person that you can go to perhaps it might be your mentor it might be another person in your department another ECT it might be your professional mentor but having that person you can talk to um, and then um, you know you can raise these concerns with because I'd like to think if you're working in a, in a really you know school that hasn't got a toxic culture if you recognize these working practices and perhaps there's an expectation that you're doing those things and actually, you know, the research suggests that that's not particularly effective. Actually, we have a staff forum actually not being afraid to kind of raise those things um, and, um, you know, trying to see if there are better ways that you, you can do that. Um, and that's definitely something we were talking about. And if you've done all those things, sometimes if you've only ever been um, 
in it's, you know, it's your first school and you know staff will often sometimes you know if you're not in the right school that's just the way it is it's how we do it here and you've got that negative culture um you know i've seen teachers who've wanted to leave the profession as a consequence where actually it's you know if those things are happening it's probably not you it's actually the school so don't be afraid to move you know once you've exhausted those things if, it, if it's not the right place and we also had a look at the fact that when you have these red flags they're red for a reason they're not normal and i think the the sad thing is i only use the word sad i think it's sad when you've got people that are really keen they're enthusiastic they want to do the best but they feel like they're running to the ground they don't know what to do next they feel overwhelmed they feel a little bit like they're drowning um and if you don't have that right support network or you don't have that environment where you feel you can reach out and ask for help then you need to you know look at the school but also look at yourself and think actually am I doing the best for me or am I surrounding myself by the people that perhaps are quite negative because I think that's part of your well-being is who you surround yourself by if you're by that person that constantly moans every single day at school it can wear you down and it can have an impact likewise you can be surrounded by positive people but as Eddie was saying you can find some people that are so over the top they make you feel bad because they can talk about how easy you know you have that class sometimes and that one child's being really difficult what you don't want to hear after that class is well they're really good for me that just doesn't help the situation and I think it's just trying to find that balance where if it's not working don't just keep doing it whatever it might be change it get that support try something different and if that's not working and you know you've gone to mentor you've worked with other people in the department the school then yeah look see is it is it the school is it somewhere else and just don't keep doing the same thing that's wearing you down don't keep working all those hours don't keep spending that time where you're at home at the weekend plowing away like you say with the laminator card all that kind of stuff rather than with your family because if you keep doing that you're just going to keep wearing yourself down more and more to the point where you just give up and you don't want to carry on and your mental health takes a massive hit um you know there, it isn't like that and it shouldn't be like that but we aren't silly we're we're normal teachers we know what it's like in some schools and we know that people could be listening especially as we get towards Christmas where they're like I'm drowning I don't feel the support speak out reach out there'll be people in your school that will help you um you know there will be somebody that can help and support just don't don't hold into it and that's going back to that thread at the start being honest being open Yep. And I think, you know, reach out. You can reach out right now if you want to message us in, if you want to call in. Uh, it is Teachers Talk Radio here and we are open and live uh, for your calls and texts. So do message in if you have something to add to the conversation here. Um, I wonder, and, you know, this is just my feeling on it, but I wonder if, as I talked before um, about the, the kind of NQT, the, the falsity that we sometimes put up, this false front of I'm doing fine or they work, they're fine for me or I've had a wonderful lesson or that toxic positivity in a way, but a falseness to it. Um, there's, there, there's always seems to be a lot of people in teaching talking about imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, outside of... Uh, you know, I really don't know. Maybe actors might be more insecure, but teachers seem to be incredibly insecure about how well they are doing. Is that something you've noticed in trainees? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. We often ask them, um, what's your highlight? What have you struggled with? And sometimes they, um, like we had a colleague today that said, oh, it was an absolute disaster um, or something went really wrong. 
and actually their feedback from the mentor was not that at all and I think sometimes you're really hard on yourself because as teachers you strive for perfection I think and we're in a we're in a job where obviously we're accountable we have students you know that we have to nurture and I think going to false advertisement actually I think you know when you sign up for teaching you get lured in by bursaries if you know you're lucky for that you see these teacher adverts I don't think they actually explain the full story of what being a teacher actually entails because we hear don't we our oh, teaching's just 8 30 till three o'clock you've got all these school holidays um you don't really do anything and those that can't do anything teach and you have all these negative connotations we get bashed in the press so you don't really hear that many positive stories and then when you're in school you feel like oh I can't really say I'm struggling because you know it's supposed to be easy or, or whatever it might be and I just think people um that don't have never worked in education don't necessarily fully understand the day-to-day -day, the grind and the the difficulties that people face I think also with that that positivity we were talking about this I remember coming in and I came into a department that were doing amazing things actually and um, what I didn't I saw the finished product five years in what I hadn't seen is actually all of the work and you know all of the difficulties that those teachers had you know overcome and you know but you know how they'd kind of you know develop their teacher toolkit I hadn't seen that I just saw all of these teachers who had everything together looked really polished and, and there was I you know um, you know my skirt tucked into my tights or something ridiculous <laughs> like that you know trying to you know a few pages ahead in the textbook from the kids and, and that was really hard so I often um, felt like an imposter and actually every stage of my career where I've moved up that it's, it's hard to build that confidence isn't it and I think as teachers as well we're really critical of ourselves so like when you talk about that imposter syndrome we can't we don't often take the positive so if you've ever had I mean I know we've moved away from like outstanding good when it was graded people just heard that word it's a little bit like you get some feedback mm. and they just you, you pull it apart yourself and I think that doesn't do anything for your well-being because you might have a hundred things that went well in a lesson, one thing that didn't perhaps go as live or die by yeah, the title yeah. didn't quite go how you wanted, and all of a sudden we beat ourselves up about it far too much because we feel like we're not doing a good enough job. Or you might have that difficult child whose parent perhaps is you've had to have that difficult phone call and it's not gone quite as well. It can make you feel like, oh, I just can't do this. I'm not doing well, and it's hard. Teaching's really hard, and I think. I'm not sure how honest we are with our PGCs and our early careers teaching because we were saying that sometimes you can talk about well-being and say make sure you have time for your hobbies and things and of course do that but I also think it is about finding that balance because I know 15 years on I can plan a lesson much quicker than I could 15 years ago and I think we have to remember that as you know mentors and as you know teachers when we're looking at our early careers teachers everything takes that little bit longer so when they are saying about workload and we go oh, we've only got to mark that, that and that, and you've only got to do that. We're looking at it from how long it takes us to do it and not how long it will take them to do it. And it's it's trying to find that balance to support them, but also to make sure they realise that, you know, if it is taking you an hour to mark one book, for example, that's not sustainable. Um, and that's what you want, isn't it? Something that works, a model that's sustainable, but also it's realistic with the school demands because... You know, you're going to a school and they, like you say, they'll have a marking policy, which is going to be different from school to school. So if you've got a really hard marking policy, which you have to mark a lot more, then obviously that's going to take more of your time than if you're in a school where you only mark, say, certain pieces. I think it's just finding a balance, but it is it's difficult. We're not going to lie. 
I would say, you know, I, I always, um, you know, I was very lucky in my last school where we had an incredibly experienced colleague, um, uh, you know, a teacher, and he was, he was a male teacher, but what he had been able to do with his years of experience was to um, be the most efficient, not waste time on things that couldn't be done, um, not waste time on things that wouldn't be effective. And I would always advise anyone to go and talk to him or look at his practice because, you know, he might not ever have been when we were grading lessons, you know, the person who, and this is primary, of course, you know, we would have people turning up dressed as pirates for their observation <laughs> lessons with all kinds of jelly and hooks and resources. And, you know, he, he never did that because he understood that, that 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 part wasn't efficient or effective or wasn't going to help him in the long run he was very good at cutting it to the bone and only doing what mattered and i think that when we you know when we try and you know tell teachers to go and observe go and see this wonderful lesson you're right there is a curse of the expert there that they are looking at it and going oh you know how do i ever get to there Whereas actually what we should be saying is look this is threshold this is but, you know, this is what you can get away with doing and this is where you start and you will build to yeah. somewhere from there. We um, talked to one of our ECTs actually about that um, yesterday because um, this particular colleague was saying, I just feel completely overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Um, and we were talking about, you know, um, they, they, like you said, those thresholds, there's minimum, like, you've absolutely, you know, you've got to take the register. You've got to, you've got to have those resources. Um, but we were talking about, actually, if you don't do these things, um, that's okay. Um, and um, we were also talking about um, this particular colleague getting really worried about something, and you know that whole um, it's um, better done better done than perfect. That actually um, those things will come, and it might be some things that you have to pause. It might even be about also creating breathing space in your lessons. We were talking about that a lot, particularly when you've got kind of three five period days on the trot. Thinking about actually if there are non-negotiables that you have to do that you're struggling to get done, um, you know, if you're kind of teaching from the front. And that's the thing that I probably made the mistake of. Um, it was, um, you know, doing card sorts, five part inquiry, history lessons, excitement, questions. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember people observing me saying, I'm exhausted just watching you. And I was exhausted actually teaching those lessons <laughs> um, and um, looking at, you know, where could I, you know, create those, um, those breathers um, and those, you know, opportunities for children to do, you know, extended tasks um, in my lessons. And I think one of the biggest impacts is you cannot assume that once you have walked through a door even whether you're on your pgc or you're an early careers teacher or you're moving school that you're a master of your trade because everybody continues to learn things coming out go in fashion come out of fashion in terms of what you know the latest teaching research inform our practice but one of the biggest things is if you liken it to students if you talk to your class and you say right you're going to go revise now and off you go actually it's not very effective because they've not been given the tools of well, what is effective revision? How should I do it? What do I need to do? And I think we have to remember this with our teaching staff. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to say, well, you just need to put a to-do list together or you just need to um, mark that much smarter. But actually, it's breaking that down and saying, well, do they actually understand what that looks like? Oh, yeah, I hated that. Well, they always used to say, work, I work smarter, not harder. And I, but I don't know what you mean. Yeah, because I don't think anybody gets up in the morning thinking, right, I really, really want to work till midnight tonight. And I'm going to spend six hours doing this one activity. Sometimes it's about going, do you know what? We need to look at your needs. And it, it extends beyond early careers teachers, because I think sometimes in schools, and I think this is why the framework's changed slightly, is you can't just get past your NQT year, now it's obviously your early um, careers teachers, 
and then just assume again you know everything you don't you won't know everything you can't know everything and there will be somebody sat there who has a brilliant idea of something they do that's really efficient but if you don't have the opportunity to share that if you don't have the opportunity to you know pick up on different cpd needs and meet them then of course people are going to struggle and they're going to feel more overwhelmed because sometimes there's nothing worse than saying you just need to do it a different way as eddie said you're doing the way you think's best and if you don't get told a different way or shown a different way you're just going to keep muddling through and feeling a little bit like you're drowning still yeah and i would say that that is compounded for me for nqts ects pgces anyone early and at a as i would say a jeopardy point where there is something they have to pass they have observations that they need to do well at it's easier for me as a you know established teacher i you know i have less kind of concern about those things i know how it works but certainly early in my queue that because you can bury yourself away you can hide under work you know i remember as an nqt not going into the staff room because at break time I was marking and planning and like you say, cutting up card sorts and getting them ready on the table and not going in at lunchtime. And then at the end of the day, I wasn't chatting with anyone in the car park. I was still marking and carrying my books home. And, you know, I never got time to discuss it with anyone. And so actually that breathing space, and I guess this takes us all the way back to where we started in, in this part of the show, talking about planning and diaries and those things the most productive thing I do now is sit with my diary and talk to one of my co-teachers about what's coming up that week and, you know, what sort of things are happening, where there might be a problem, where there might not be a problem. And it, it's not full throttle. It's, it's almost the opposite, I guess. Yeah, teachers are so incredibly professionally generous, actually, um, within our departments or um, even if, and I, I know there'll be some people who are listening and thinking, well, it's all very well and good, but I'm a department of one, because um, I know that, you know, some ECTs will find that actually they're the only subject specialist in that particular department or if they're in a small school. Uh, but people are um, on Twitter, on social networking, uh, using your professional networks, both in school and outside of school, tapping, tapping into your subject community is um, kind of so key because actually I would be panicking about things that I haven't taught before um, or actually that lesson, although there was centralised resources, it's quite dry and I just wasn't sure it was going to work with my class. So having that opportunity online, in person to talk through, to share pool expertise, I think is really important. Exactly, you know, and I would say reach out as much as you can. Um, Things like, and you know, obviously I am here on Teachers Talk Radio saying this, but... When you reach out to people, and we have seen it so many times on this show, we hear from listeners who say, you know, how much just discussing these things openly and, as you say, honestly and not hiding them away have helped them um, and even listening to these things. And that is one of the things I love about having current teachers on is that um, it is people being honest about their current practice. Um, Now, um, Eddie, Laura, we do have to go to the news. Uh, are you happy to stick around to talk to us a little bit more afterwards? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no of course. problem. Fantastic. Well, if you are listening, uh, we are here on Teachers Talk Radio. We are talking to Eddie Rollett and Laura Woods. We are talking about what we can do as a profession to support our early careers teachers, our trainee teachers, uh, with their well-being and their workload. We are off to the news. See you on the other side. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. 
This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools are being told to stockpile dry and tinned foods in the event of an ongoing shortage. Food supply company ISS have issued the warning following the continued lack of HGV drivers in the UK. It is thought supply chain issues could last until February, with school kitchens being asked to have a two-week backup supply of non-perishable food products as a contingency plan. Education unions are pushing for the reinstatement of mask policies across schools. The latest statistics show that 1 in 15 children in school years 7 to 11 are estimated to have had COVID in the last seven days. The highest rate of positivity for any age group. Unions feel this leaves secondary schools particularly vulnerable. No action has been taken, but the new Education Secretary did not rule out the return to masks in classrooms. At a conference this week, Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi said there were not enough blackhead teachers working in English schools. He said he thinks it is critical that teaching is an inclusive profession where leadership teams reflect their communities. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone and welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Wednesday Night Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio radio. Um, If you missed the start of the show, we've been talking about well-being tips, workload tips for ECTs, early career teachers and NQTs and and PGCEs, anyone who's at the start of their career. um, We've been discussing the things we should be saying to them that maybe weren't said to us, uh, but we should be saying to them and helping them with at the start of their career. I'm welcoming back Eddie Rollett and Laura Woods. Uh, Are you there? We are. We're there. We're here. Fabulous. <laughs> did, did you hear the news? Were you listening to the news? Yes. Yep. Um, I, 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 on it, sometimes I, I despair, but we, schools are being asked to stockpile tins and dry food. I know. We heard that and we thought because we um, are part of our parent staff association, we, um, we, were, we were kind of um, talking about that because actually the demands on schools um, have never um, been so much um, and also the um, difficulties um, you know for staff and the experiences also for pupils as well and just all of it is, is really really challenging I think I, I can't imagine really what quite, quite what it must be like for our you know, ECTs, PGCs training in such a unpredictable and difficult year. 
I honestly do. I, you know, I, no. I, I have utmost respect for some of the people who've been through training, and it is sad to say, and this is part of uh, uh, something that we may can discuss a bit later on, but you know, there, we have to accept where we are as a profession and we have to be honest about it, but we also have to say that it's not right. And I remember having a conversation with a member of staff at the very start of the pandemic when schools were, were closing down. And I remember say, saying to her, you know, give it two months and we will be to blame. Yeah. And, you know, two months later, some, you know, teachers were being called lazy, teachers were being, you know, all of these things. And it is sad that that we have to say that about our profession i think because it was so unprecedented and we'd never experienced anything like that before no one knew how long it was going to last nobody knew what the situation is and i think you know when you used to see those mugs sometimes and they would have i'm not just a teacher and they would list i'm a social worker i'm a a friend i'm all of those things there's never been more true yeah and i think i used to look at them and go oh yeah if you had a pastoral role i get that part or if you had this role I get that part now I think when you're walking into a classroom you're not quite sure what to expect because it isn't just teaching and I think that's part of the problem is now you're expected you know there are so many things you're juggling you've got child protection issues you've got the fact that some children are coming hungry you've got all sorts of things you are trying to keep your eye on as well as a global pandemic where you like we say teachers have really been slated a lot um and not always justifiably, I'm afraid. It's not. You know, some people couldn't do any more during the pandemic, yet were felt like, you know, you were seeing headlines. Oh, my teacher's just doing nothing. And my child's got to sit at home all day and they're just planning, you know, that, you know what are they doing? But for me, I was on um, maternity leave, actually. Um, but I was working from home and then I was on maternity leave because I was pregnant. And I think... I was even finding how difficult it was, let alone colleagues that were in schools at the time. Um, so my question to the two of you on that: We've had our little rant. We, you know, we've we've <laughs> said how 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 hard teaching is. When people are coming into the profession, obviously we we can't sell them a a lie for want of a better word. You know, we can't say, "Oh, yeah, teaching's wonderful, best job in the world." I do believe that, but it, you know, it comes with some caveats. Um, we can't just go that way. But also, I'm not sure it's helpful that we're saying to our early careers teachers or um, that, you know, this is this is terrible. You are going to get slated. You are going to be tired. You know, where do you guys sit with that? Do we go one way or the other? Is there a happy medium down the middle? I mean, we try to just be really honest, actually, because um, we, we talk about highs and we were saying, actually, um, even throughout the pandemic, actually, um, there were some really, really difficult days because um, we were, um, I was homeschooling as well. Um, we didn't send um, our children into school. We tried to kind of manage it at home. And that was, uh, that was interesting and an experience I wouldn't look to, <laughs> to repeat. Um, but actually, you know, even um, throughout those really um, difficult days, actually, the, it is amazing when you have those breakthroughs um, with mm-hmm. students. Um, and even um, if you, and everyone can probably think of um, a particular class or student where actually it's really challenging. Uh, you don't look at that class on your timetable and think I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but actually, um, when you make those breakthroughs, when you build those relations, um, when you spark that fire, um, that's yeah. um, that's incredible. That's uh, that's where the magic happens. And, and teaching is an incredible and still remains actually mm-hmm. an incredibly rewarding thing. And even though we're doing probably more than ever, actually, the support that colleagues across anyone in school has been able to put in oh, for children yeah. has been absolutely phenomenal. And I think the community 
a school community, the local community, how they came together just shows a testament of what or how important the school is for those children and the families. One of my biggest tips I would say though is sometimes as teachers we just focus on our classroom job and we don't always see some of the amazing things. If you can spare that time, go and watch the you know the boys playing football, girls playing netball, go and watch the school production. Um, if you can, you know, if there's a concert or an assembly or something, go and see it. If there's a rewards evening, go along if you can, because I think sometimes we forget just how amazing our children are and amazing things that they can do. One of the things that I find absolutely fascinating, um, we do a lot of sharing um, outside successes as well as school successes. And some of the pupils, you think, oh, they're a bit, you know, they're a bit quiet or they're quite you know boisterous whatever it might be and then you find out the talents they've got outside of school and you tap into that and it is brilliant and I think as a teacher it's one of the most rewarding things is when you know you've had a difficult day you've been teaching five hours but there's a football match on out the field pop out there you don't have to stay for the whole match five ten minutes it builds huge relationships with the students but also it just reminds you that we're a community we're not just here to deliver a lesson and mark and then go home it's about, you know, if you're really invested into teaching, it just get involved in the school life because it is more than just what's happening in your classroom. Oh, I 100% love that. Uh, you know, I think it, it, it also helps put it all in context for me. You know, uh, you know, you that 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 kid could have uh, had had a bit of a rubbish history lesson with you, you know, period free, but they, they might have scored the winning goal in the in the after school football match and it could be the best day of their life you know once we step outside and I think we are sometimes as a profession very earnest and take ourselves very very seriously Mm -hmm. which we should do because you know at the points of being serious it's incredibly complicated the cognitive science behind it is mind-blowing excuse the pun um (laughs) but you know um but in reality, you know, you can have an off lesson and it can still be a wonderful day. Yeah, we were talking about that because we had Amjad Ali who came and did some work with us and he asked a question um, that I hadn't really thought about. And he said, how often are you depositing in the emotional piggy bank of your children? And I thought, oh, that's really interesting, actually, because sometimes you can just see some challenging behaviour or some difficulties there. And actually, like Laura said, finding out about their interests or finding out about the rest of their day, um, I can really draw on that now. Actually, if we're having a difficult lesson or I see them in the corridor, building that relationship. And like you said, we were talking to our ECTs, actually. Sometimes you can feel that you've had a terrible lesson or things have gone really badly. But actually, we've all survived 100% of our worst days. Um, And um, it's often not as bad as you think and something to add to that I think you know if you've had a really bad day I am a true advocate don't go home on that make that you know email a parent make a phone call if someone has got it right end on a positive if you can I know it's not always possible but sometimes we dwell on the fact that one or two students have really made our day feel a little bit like that black is that 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 dot on the paper you can just see that dot on that you know that that white piece of paper that otherwise pretty good day and I think you know if you're you know if you're you're listening and you're kind of sat there thinking you know I've had a really bad day I've had a really bad run of luck with this group find the one thing like that even if you've got a really difficult group if you find that one thing that someone's done right even if it's really small and praise them for it whether it's, you know, in the corridor or whether it's outside of, you know, the lesson or in the lesson discreetly. But when you send that message home, I think that's really powerful because you're starting to build those relationships and it goes a long way. And I think 
nobody goes into teaching thinking I'm going to be really strict and really firm of course you can have your boundaries you're going to have those relationships but it's about it is that isn't it? it's building relationships and without that it can affect your well-being if you're feeling every single day you let those little things dominate all of the positives um it's hard and I and I'm not pretending please I don't want anyone listening thinking oh she's just saying it's all roses and things like that I'm not we're, we're teachers we get it we all have those off days but I think if you you try and find those positives, like get out and watch that school show. I know we talked about the saying no, but sometimes, you know, the music department are running something, the drama department, they're often small departments, they need help and people say no. I can guarantee if you offer to help out backstage with the makeup, the costumes, the lighting, selling tickets, the students actually re- respect it a lot more than the teachers. They really value the fact you gave up your time for them. And it just goes such a long way. And it's nice to go and watch a show, actually, um, where you see them in a different light. Because, you know, not everyone's going to love geography. Not everyone's going to love history, English, maths, whatever it is. They're not going to be as passionate about it as you are. So you've got to find out what they're passionate about and try and tap into that as well. Yeah, I, I would say I would guarantee, and I have no evidence for this, so this is not researched informed practice at all, but I am guaranteeing it that, it, you know, you would do far better in your teaching and you would improve better as a teacher and you would find your life a lot happier I feel as Mm -hmm. I say there's no research behind this if rather than spending an extra hour marking after school for your year 11 class you went and watched year 11 in the football match after school instead I think that would I, I can't back it up with anything but, they but that's what it, I feel. They? they will talk about that for weeks. They're not going to talk about that book you marked. They, they, they might even not look at your marking necessarily. Do you know what I mean? It is finding those things where, like you say, it will have a much longer lasting impact than, you know, on a Friday afternoon in the rain going, no, I've, I've still got to sit here and drown. No, go outside, go watch them, go do something or fire off a few emails or a couple of phone calls Yeah, just to say, do you know what? I think that's um, something that actually, um, not necessarily even marking their book, sometimes you can feel like you've had a terrible lesson and you've done those things that Laura um, has said and then actually you just flick through their books and you go, oh no, no, they are getting it actually. I thought it was, I thought everything, you know, it'd be awful that I wasn't, you know, they weren't learning what I wanted them to do and you can see some fab stuff and I did used to try and make sure that um, on um, my day of Friday that before I went, I'd... um, choose a child um from different classes um and i would just um send a little message home say how well they were doing and actually try and look for the positives and even in you know your more more difficult challenging classes i think looking for the positives um helps you and it helps them as well um yeah indubitably i think you know i'm very much a believer of you 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 know putting out some positivity into the world makes you feel better as well you know, and that's something that I try and do. I do try even on a tough day. And I, you know, I found myself doing it this week. You know, I said some things that I, you know, wasn't happy that had happened. Uh, but then at the end of it, I said, but actually, do you know what? This has been a win today. This mm-hmm. has been a win today. And those are the two things that I'm walking out the door with. I'm yeah, leaving the rest where it is. You know, like yourself, we're in the classroom, we're doing this. It's not necessarily we've got research, like you say, to back it up. It's just experience that we found it's taken a long time to get there but it is it's finding those small things in the day that you can just smile about or you think do you know what actually it wasn't a disaster um and I think for me one of the the nicest things actually is sometimes you know when a student at the end of the lesson you can feel like it's gone a little bit bad but on the way out they just go oh thanks ever so much miss have a nice evening just hearing that little comment you hold on to those little things they don't have to be massive wins it can just be anything um 
And I just think, you know, whenever you have an opportunity to try and find the positive, even with that really difficult child that really brings you down every lesson, if they've just come into your room a little bit calmer, just thank them for it. I've heard some people go, well, they didn't do exactly what I asked. No, but pick your battles. They've come in much calmer today. Let's let's focus on that. I, I'm going to focus on the next bit. I'm going to share with you my, my worst metaphor. And the reason this is my worst metaphor is because I keep explaining it and no one ever understands it, but I am going to try. Now, I used to be a uh, outdoor pursuits coach, instructor. I used to do kayaking and canoeing. Okay, so you're with me, but, you know, I'm in the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever done kayaking or canoeing before? Either of you? Yes. Uh, funny, funny story there. Actually, my husband and I um, brought an inflatable <laughs> kayak. Um, and this summer, um, having had no experience on a kayak, decided to um, that we uh, want to try something different. So, yes, I have recently. <laughs> okay. So what happens when you're paddling is at the front of the kayak or canoe, it builds up a thing called a bow wave. And now the front of the boat is called a bow. So that, that bulge in water is a bow wave. And that builds up. And no matter how hard you push or paddle or fight it, you cannot break through a bow wave. And that is how I feel we are with teaching sometimes, is mm -hmm. that we are pushing against something that you cannot break through. Actually, if you as a, a kayaker or canoeer want to go past that and you have created a bow wave what you need to do is actually slow down lean back and you can rise above and go over it adding more pressure adding more force makes it worse yeah yeah no i get that totally uh, there were definitely times um in my teaching career where i felt like i needed to make a stand on something um and and i think having high expectations is really important um but there um there were times yeah definitely when i tried through um kind of the force of my um of my you know teacher personality to try and um break through something that actually it wasn't it wasn't going to work that i needed to go you know round it or or try things differently for sure i will say the most powerful behavior management technique that i think there is um, and I, you know, I work in alternative provision in a secondary school, so I work specifically with children who struggle to learn in a mainstream environment, mm -hmm. which can be a challenge. The one we use the most is called change of face. And what you do is you no longer, you know, continue that battle. You ask someone else to step in. They calmly reiterate the instruction or the, you know, the thing that needs to happen, and it works because you don't need to win. You know, yeah. lots of people lock horns in those situations with a pupil yeah. and and you don't need to. Um, yes, one of, one of the biggest things we often say to teachers is, you know, don't have that stand-up confrontation with a child because they're not going to step down. They don't want to lose face in front of their friends. Walk away. You can pick them up later or somebody else will pick them up. The issue will get solved. Do not get into that confrontation because all that happens is you get angry and they, they don't back down because they won't back down. You don't want to back down and nothing, nothing gets solved. No, certainly, certainly. Now, listen, we have to go to one more set of ad breaks. But on the other side of this, if it's okay, we will wrap up with some top tips, maybe some pet hates about things we are telling to our ECTs, our early careers teachers. Are you both happy to stick around? Of course, yeah. Fab. We will see you on the other side. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. 
Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boradab Halb, Chloe Soyabatawi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Swansea. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, the Wednesday Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. And we are talking with Eddie Roulette and Laura Woods about advice, uh, tips we can give to early career teachers, trainee teachers, about workload and work life balance. Uh, welcome back. Hello, hi. Hi. Um, so uh, we we have we are reaching the very end of the show now. Remember, if you are still listening uh, to us live, you can text in, you can call in to join the conversation. We are wrapping up with some top tips, maybe some pet hates. Um, I'm going to start us off just with one thing, and we've not covered this yet, but it, uh, it was tweeted out earlier today by um, uh, a teacher called uh, Asbo Teacher um, on Twitter, and he made a comment about people saying that there were there was such a thing as a natural teacher and this is something that I utterly hate I I think never call anyone a natural teacher you know even when I've been called it I I hate it because it's it's supposed to be a a compliment but actually it undermines the fact that I've worked really really hard to get here you know and I I think it kind of it it puts a false idea out there that other people can't achieve what experienced teachers do yeah, yeah, I agree. And the teacher I am now is actually, um, you know, quite different to the teacher that I um, that I started out as, and that came through um, experience and coaching and mentoring. Um, and actually, I probably wasn't a natural teacher. I remember uh, my first um, PGCE lesson, teaching the first one, and realizing that I didn't really like standing in front of people, and my hands were shaking so much I had to put my hands behind my back and just sort of, um, you know, try my best. And I, I definitely found it really hard. And over the years, you develop that teacher toolkit. But yeah, I think um, a lot of it is about, you know, learning and reading and, and getting yeah, better. Yeah, and I isn't think it? time. It's yeah. hard when you say to anyone that's starting out in anything give it time and you will get better. It will get easier. 
it's really hard when people, for me, my biggest pet hate is when people assume, whenever you're, even if you're a mentor, a head of department, that everybody's going to be the same as that person. So I know no one's going to teach the exact same way as me. They're not going to organise their files or lessons the way I organise mine because everyone's different. And I think it's hard when you, if you are a mentor and if you are listening, you are a mentor or head of department, please just think about the fact that early careers teachers and PGCs, they're not going to be at your standard. They're going to be different. They're going to take longer to do things. And I think it is so hard when you strive for perfection and they're learning their trade because they've got to work on things that you might think, well, that's just easy. Well, why wouldn't you know that? Just be mindful that actually it takes them a bit of time and they might not have the toolkit to do whatever you want them to do. And so just support them. Please, please, please support. And I would add to that, allow them to make, you know, some safe mistakes. Yes. You know, I think we're, we're too quick to jump in sometimes and correct or, you know, make it seem like any error. There are some errors you can make and, you know, mm. let, let them find out that, you know, certain things are not a great idea. As long as it's not, you know, safety, it's not damaging, it's not risky you know, they've got to have a chance in a safe way to do those things. Yeah, And also not being fooled by the cult of personality. Um, Sometimes you will have people who are very charismatic and, um, you know, everything's going amazingly well for them. But actually that's really important in teaching, of course. But um, there are lots of, it'll only take you kind of so far as well. So I remember looking at other people and feeling like, you know, they were naturals, as you say, in the classroom. And that made me feel really inadequate about my own classroom practice. But of course, there's so many um, facets to being a really um, successful teacher. Uh, certainly so okay so that was my um my pet hate okay there are no natural teachers you know this this it's a myth don't do it my my favorite thing to say to an early careers teacher or or a younger teacher than myself uh, and this came to me late I wish I'd heard it earlier in my career but it is something that you guys had mentioned a little bit earlier on but phrased in a slightly different way I like saying good enough is good enough Yes. yes. So um, I keep reminding myself of that. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So if you um, go for a 10 minute run rather than an hour, that's better than no run. If you brush your teeth for two minutes, that's better than not brushing them at all. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of just being really kind to yourself about that um, yeah. and recognising that, yeah, it done is better than perfect. Brilliant. Yep, I, I like that as well. Done is better than perfect. Um, so as I say, those are two things that I certainly, um, you know, I feel strongly. Um, is there anything else that you've been saying this week, maybe, or that you say regularly to your early career teachers when you're kind of giving them advice and helping them out? Or is there anything that you wish had never been said to you? Yeah, I think sometimes it, you should know this, or we've done this before. We've said this Ooh, before. Yeah, ouch. That I felt that. <laughs> The worst thing, because as a student, when I'm teaching, I will always say to them, I don't mind explaining things things several times if you need that. But then I wouldn't, I remember um, I was in my PGC actually, and someone said, we've gone through this three times. I'm like, yeah, but especially when teaching, we use so many acronyms. Um, It's hard to keep up sometimes. And I remember having something explained to me and I didn't get it. And I asked, and then I asked again, and they were like, we've done this, we've said this. And I was just like, oh, okay. And it made me stop asking questions. So I would struggle on. Do you know, I had that on my NQT year. Now you say this, I'd moved from Wales to England and acronyms are bad in education anyway. But when you move between countries and languages, it, it you know, it's, it's, it's particularly hard. But I, I turned up and they said, oh, um, you know, have you done your APP sheets? And I, I, I said, sorry, I don't, 
I don't know. And they were like, oh, you, you know, you don't know what APP is. Yeah. Oh, this is ridiculous. What have they sent us? You know, how did you ever? They went, no, no, can you explain what, what it is? And they said what it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know what that is. We just don't, we just never called it APP. Yeah. And, and it was horrible. And it is, it's that, that's one of the things I would say, just never say to somebody, you know, if they ask a question, you know, we always say there's no daft question, is there? You know, if you need to ask it, ask it. Um, if an adult is asking you for help, it's because they didn't understand something because I need it. They don't want you to turn around and make them feel like they shouldn't have asked that. That's the worst thing you could possibly do, in my opinion. Okay, but what about the best thing then? What would be the best thing you could you, you say? What's something that you like to hear people saying to their trainees? You know, say you know you you you're helping them around, or you bump into someone in the staff room. Maybe they aren't necessarily a, a direct mentor; they're just a more experienced colleague. What do you like to hear? Oh, this is a good question. Yeah, it is a good one. Um, so um, I think um, trying to make sure that um, you're um, kind of, you know, I like to hear it when people are checking in um, with teachers. I think checking in um, on your colleagues is really, really important and making sure that, um, you know, they feel supported and um, that they feel organised for the week. And also thinking about, um, particularly, I didn't always um, feel this in my PhD year, like how did I use my free periods? Actually, it was quite fine for me to listen to a podcast, read a book, get better at my subject knowledge. Or um, the other thing also we talked about is um, I wasn't very in charge of my um, professional learning at all. Um, I just waited for opportunities to come to me um, as if someone would miraculously know what it was I needed to do and actually seeking out opportunities knowing that you know you you know you are absolutely entitled to you see a course you want to go on uh, there's something you want to order in um, you're absolutely you know in charge of that um, mm -hmm. and you know generating those um, CPD opportunities. Yeah and for me one of the biggest things that I absolutely love to hear is um, first of all feedback you know give people feedback be honest with them be open be honest but also, just going back to like when I was saying about find out about the students and get into their needs, find out about your ECTs, yeah. find out about your PGCs. Who are they? You know, they're more than just that classroom teacher. Find out about them and genuinely have a bit of an interest in them because I think that's how you build those open and honest relationships. They're not going to come to you for help and support if they feel like you don't know them. So find out who they are. You know, what are they into? What, what are their interests? You know, whatever it might be and build on that and you know, get to know them as people. Because I think there's nothing worse than PGC students come in and they're like, oh, they're not in my department. Oh, they're the PGCEs. No, they've got names. Who are they? You know, talk to them as if they're humans. But yeah, I agree. And I, I, I would even shorten it to so much as find them. Because, yes, you know, as, yeah. I, as I've said earlier, they're probably snowed under. They're probably a bit, you know, worried to ask for help. You know, go and find them and say hi. Yeah. you know introduce yourself even if they're not in your department like you say or even if they're you know not um you know not directly going to be working with you pop in because you as an experienced teacher have probably got more time mm -hmm. than they have time yeah i so, remember that um being really clear actually when i started doing my teacher training my um a professional mentor um, at the university saying to me, oh, your job is be that teachers are really busy, so you should be making them teas and coffees and finding ways to go and help them out and, you know, be really grateful for their time. Whereas actually I'd flip that around um, and um, say that actually, um, you know, we should really be helping them out as much as possible, being professionally generous with our time and never making them feel like they're a burden, that we're too busy to speak to them. Yeah. I think that's really key. Yeah, I really like that, that, you know, like uh, that actually is the complete opposite of <laughs> of that. And I do wonder if, you know, and I hope it's not the case. Obviously, if we are talking, it sounds like we're all broadly similar of experience of our training and we are, you know, sort of broadly similar 
at where we are sort of in those career stages we move through and we have reacted and it is reactionary to the experiences we had but I hope it is longer term than that this I hope it actually is a realization that there was a period in education where maybe we weren't teaching we weren't treating our early career teachers well and it has left us with this as as you know as we keep coming back to this five-year period that we talk about of us losing teachers I think we've definitely been more reflective but I also think as schools um got responsibility if you don't want high staff turnover talk to your staff what are their issues what what are they struggling with and what can you do to support them so that it is a sustainable future for your school but also for the profession Certainly. And I think, you know, uh, that wider professional responsibility element Mm -hmm. is something that schools have to start taking responsibility for. It's not just enough that you can get in and, you know, a few more teachers yourself. You know, we have to look at this as the big picture now. And it's no good one or two people saying, let's let's create this culture. It isn't. It's got to be school wide. It's got to be county wide. It's got to be, you know, you know, government wide, really. The change has to come from the top because... You can't just keep ploughing money into bursaries. You've got to think about everything else that's going to make a difference. And it is, it's that culture in school. It's about how do people feel supported? How is that community within the school? What do they look for? And is that being met? And also about creating time for mentors and teachers in school um, to give the time that absolutely ECTs uh, need and deserve. And and so creating those conditions um, to allow everyone to be successful. You know, and I I think there is something that you say there, and and we are coming to the end of the show, but certainly maybe there is another show uh, somewhere on TT Radio, hopefully to talk about, because certainly I'm reading that the expectation on mentors at the moment with the new ECT framework, actually maybe we should be worried about mentors' well-being and workload as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's something we're also passionate about because we work with our um, ECT mentors as well and our PGCM mentors as part of our role in our school. Uh, fabulous well I'm afraid you know we have talked and we have talked and it's been incredibly helpful for me and hopefully for our listeners as well but we are unfortunately at the end of our time for this evening's Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio now remember if you have just caught us at the end of the show you can listen back to this or all of our shows from any of our hosts throughout the week and before all the way back to the very beginnings of TT Radio at ttradio.org slash listen back and there's a feature there where you can search for any topic any guest um, any keywords within the show and that should help you find it now thank you so much eddie and laura for coming on no thank you thank you and uh best of luck with you know i guess as we roll into half term how long have you got left until half term um, it's the next week, isn't it? Yeah, right. a week. Yeah, just over a week. Yeah, just a week left. Okay. Well, best of luck as we roll in. Look after yourselves and look after those early careers teachers. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you and good night. Nostar, everyone from here in Swansea. Good night, uh, and we will see you again. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.